turn to Proverbs uh, chapter 13, verse 12, and just leave your Bible open. We have a lot of scriptures we're going to look at this morning as we continue our series on hope. Uh, let me give you just a few thoughts as you're turning there and getting ready for the series. Uh, we have 35 or 40 people this morning in Vienna, Austria, uh, who were yes, just yesterday uh, joining in a um, march for Jesus. Only about 1% or 2% of Austria is Christian. And so an event like this is a gigantic deal. And our missions team that went over joined Vienna Christian Center in Vienna, a city of about 2 million. And yesterday downtown did a march for Jesus with 12,000 Christians. So fantastic deal. Pray for our team and the work that they're going to be doing there. They're joining with a, uh, a multicultural church with seven or eight different language congregations inside the umbrella of that church uh, the largest church in Austria, and uh, pray for them. Uh, they're doing a great work, and so many of the folks, maybe, maybe you know someone on that team, just remember it in prayer uh, for the coming week. And then tonight I want to ask you specifically to join us for Soak. Uh, soak is that time that we pull away as a church, and, and we go deep with God. And so I want to encourage you to be your leaders, intercessors, hungry hearts, uh, servants, workers, whoever you are, join us tonight for so it's, it's, a, it's our once a month, we set time aside and say we're not going to do anything else, but we're going to worship and pray, and we're going to minister to Christ and let his spirit minister to us. And so I want to ask you to join us tonight for that. Uh, what a powerful time we always have. Um, and, and then I want to give you another update that I, I haven't given you since the picnic. At our picnic, I want to thank all of you who served all of you who worked and helped and pitched in. and We had 125 people sign up for a life group on our picnic Sunday, and nine people prayed to receive Christ. Isn't that an incredible thing? Give the Lord a great big hand. I think that's an awesome, awesome thing. So if you haven't joined a life group yet or visited a life group, I want to encourage you to go to kingwoodchurch.com, push the connect button, and everything you need to know is there, and you can start... Uh, building friendships and relationships at Kingwood and uh, enjoying what we're doing. Well, we're on our Hope Series this morning, uh, and I just want to say to you, in five years of being your pastor, at no time have I ever heard so much feedback about the timeliness of this series. I've, heard, I've gotten emails, I've gotten comments, deep comments, not just a passing thought, but in the series, we've only started. <laughs> we've only had one message. This is the second one. And so I just, I know this is a special season in the life of Kingwood Church. God is ministering in unique and intimate and personal and powerful ways. And so I just want to ask you, if you have something you can take some notes down with during this message, I want to encourage you to do that. Uh, and, and, and this is a, 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 one of those times I just want you to dig your teeth in and get all that you can uh, of what God wants to do in your life. So last week we started and we talked about the promise of hope. In other words, that hope can only really come from the God of hope. Hope is the launching pad of life. It's where faith is formed. If there's no hope for the future, there'll be no faith to face it. Faith, in a sense, is the uh, hope, in a sense, is the life of faith. Now, you may remember several years ago a movie came out uh, called Shawshank Redemption. And uh, there are two characters in the movie that uh, were sort of the center part of the whole thing. A guy named Andy, 
who played, uh, was played by Tim Robbins, and then another guy named Red who was played by Morgan Freeman. Now, they're both uh, serving sentences for murder. Uh, Andy is innocent, and Red is guilty. But they were both tried and convicted of guilty, even though one of them is innocent and one of them guilty. In one powerful scene, the two of them were talking about the power of music. And Andy, who was the guy that was innocent, explained that keeping music alive in the heart shows, here's his quote, that there's something inside they can't get to, they can't touch. Red says, what are you talking about? Andy says, hope. Then Red responded, hope's a dangerous thing. It can drive a man insane. It's got no use inside of a prison. You better get used to that idea. But thankfully, Andy didn't listen. He kept hope alive. And later the movie, speaking of hope again, the hope of freedom, he sums up the importance of hope with one profound statement. Listen to this. I guess it comes down to a simple choice, really. You need to either get busy living or you need to get busy dying. Isn't that a powerful thought? You either need to get busy living or you need to get busy dying. Hopelessness, if not dealt with, is an emotional and spiritual and an intellectual and physical sort of death. Uh, dead as you, alive, as you even live. Maybe you've heard the quote from Mark Twain who said, um, he died at 82, but he only lived to 40. You ever heard that phrase? In other words, there's a decision that we make in life whereby we live. Proverbs 13, 12 says this, hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. Postpone hope can create a sick heart, both physically and emotionally. You have a heart disease, and there's no way to run life's race effectively. Just like in the same way, I'm sure that you're aware that one of the symptoms of heart disease in your physical body is that you begin to lose endurance. You get out of breath. You can't persevere. You don't have energy. You can't work all day like you used to. You can't go hard like you used to. You, you find yourself wearing out before the end of the week. We just don't have the heart to endure. This is how the heart disease of postponed hope affects us. We just don't have the heart to go on. Like Red and Shawshank Redemption, you're just too busy dying to really live. Now, here's what I want you to know this morning. God doesn't want life's challenges to affect our heart that way. God doesn't, that's not God's plan for you. He's made us more than conquerors. He wants us to run the race of life with purpose and power and joy. So if you're taking notes this morning, where does postponed hope, heart disease come from? Where does it come from? Where do we get it? Well, it comes basically from unfulfilled desires and unfulfilled dreams. You don't have to be, you know, suicidal or depressed to experience postponed hope. Sometimes postponed hope comes from the death of a loved one, a failed marriage, or maybe one that never occurred. It could come from a business that failed and went under, a family member that just you've prayed for for years and years and years, and they just don't come to Christ. An, un, an unkept promise, a rejection, betrayal, false accusation, the death of a dream. You could go on and on and on and on in life. Regardless of the cause, deferred hope is a challenge for every one of us because every one of us have experienced it on some level in life. Now, let me give you a few clues on what it might feel like if you're dealing with it. If it hurts today to think of a dream that you had, 
you're probably dealing with postponed hope. If your passion's been replaced with apathy, you probably have a heart virus working inside your spirit this morning. If you find yourself going through the motions while always feeling empty and lifeless inside of you, you probably have postponed hope. If disappointment is stronger than joy, if tears comes to your eyes when you think of a specific event or person, if you struggle with disillusionment and negative emotions, if hearing this statement, God's going to come through for you, if that wells up in you cynicism or somehow makes you angry, then you're probably dealing with postponed hope. Remember, experiencing these emotions doesn't mean that you're weak. It doesn't mean that you're shallow. It doesn't mean that you're unspiritual. It doesn't mean that you're bad. Even the people in life who are closest to God at times experience these things. This can be a simple discouragement, it can be frustration, it can be anger, it can be all the way to violent rage or even depression or suicidal tendencies. But either way, it's got to be dealt with. Now you might remember last week we talked about King David's experience of hopelessness. David was loyal to King Saul. David was on the run for many years, hiding from Saul, trying to save his own life. And, and in a cave... In one of his lowest moments, he wrote these words in Psalm 142. When my spirit grows faint within me, it's you who watch over me. In the path where I walk, people have hidden a snare for me. Look and see, there's no one at my right hand. No one is concerned for me. I have no refuge. No one cares for my life. Bring, which, by the way, wasn't true, but that's how he felt. Isn't that how you feel when you get down? Bring my soul out of prison so that I may give thanks to your name. Postpone hope was King David's prison. It's a trap. It's a snare. It's boxed in. It's limitation. Three times in the book of Psalms, King David had to command his own soul to take hope. Listen to his words in Psalm 42. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. So what happens to us when hope is postponed? We go through sort of an evolution emotionally and mentally, a digression. It starts with discouragement. That thing that we wanted to happen, that we thought would happen, has not happened. That thing that we had hoped for has not developed. And so we get discouraged, and then that discouragement, if left unchecked, turns into confusion, and that confusion turns into unbelief. That unbelief will move into disillusionment. That disillusionment can turn into bitterness, and that bitterness can turn into cynicism. You ever been there? Were you just cynical? If God really loved me, he'd do something about this. If God was real, if God was all-powerful, if the church loved me, if somebody cared about me like King David, there's nobody at my right hand, there's nobody around me, there's nobody to help me. With every stage, though, watch this. Our endurance goes down. As hope drains off your life, your endurance will go down. Postponed hope is serious, and it will rot your soul. So, if you're taking notes this morning, how do you and I recover from hope postponed? Because nobody in this room, nobody anywhere in the world, gets everything that they want all the time. Nobody has everything turn out even the way that they think it should. 
whether it was a, a personal desire, a personal dream, or whether it was just you thought it was the right way for life to happen. Everybody doesn't even get that. So when you experience that, how do you recover from postponed hope? I'm going to give you four things. Here's the first one. Get close. Get close to God. Hebrews 10, 21 and 22 says, And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God. Underline that. Draw near to God with a sincere heart and with full assurance that faith, uh, that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. I want to highlight a couple of words in that first statement. And since we have a great priest... We have a great priest. There's a story told of a ship that was caught off a rocky coast in a storm, threatening death to all the passengers. In uh, a panic, one of the passengers found his way in the middle of the howling wind and the waves and the storm up to the pilot house because he was going to run up and talk to the captain. And as he cracked the door to the pilot house, the captain was over uh, wrestling the wheel. And the captain looked over at him and smiled. Now watch this. The, the uh, person on the boat, all they needed to see was the smile of the captain to know everything's going to be all right. So the passenger rushed down in the deck below where all the people were, and he said, I've seen the face of the ship's pilot all is well. You see, the, the sight of the smiling pilot turned panic into hope. This is what it's like when we're close to God. It's to peek into the pilot house of heaven and to realize that our greatest priest is Jesus and he's at the wheel and he's the pilot and everything's going to be all right. That's what hope is. That's what it means to be close to God. So how do we get close to God? Well, devotions. Read your Bible. Pray. Praise and worship. Fast. Worship service like this morning. Soak tonight. Look, I, 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 when I was younger in faith, I always looked for the right approach to God. Because I wanted to do the best. I wanted to do the most. I wanted to get as close as I could get and do the thing that would accomplish that the best. And the longer I walk with God, the more I realize all approaches work. Show up. Keep coming. Open the Bible. Read a devotional. Lift your hands. Sing. Worship. Pray. Stop. Breathe. Meditate on His Word. It all works. It's all, it all works. You don't have to be picky about the technique. Just move. Move in. Get closer. And so if you think about it, we've defined in this series that, the, that hope is the presence of God. Man, then lifting your hands and worshiping and praising Him and singing and letting your heart get close to Him. Man, that, that's got to be one of the ways to get close. Get close. Here's the second one. Hold on. Get close and hold on to hope. Hebrews 10.23 says, Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. Now look, the Greek word for profess is an interesting word that is oftentimes translated confess. Now this is interesting. 
Confess. What does confess mean? To constantly speak and declare a truth that one believes. God's Word, the Bible, is your best friend in times where hope is postponed. Because I guarantee you, you're not always going to feel right. I don't always feel right. I don't always feel what I should feel. And sometimes my emotions shape my opinions. And sometimes my emotions shape my convictions. And sometimes my emotions get the better of me. I'm not always going to feel like I ought to feel. But this word will always say what should be said. It'll always tell the truth. And it'll always be an anchor that you can set your feet on and know that it's not going to change. God's word, the Bible says, won't return void. It's powerful. It'll bring you inspiration and comfort and hope. And when we constantly confess, when we constantly state, when we constantly say the truth, when we constantly speak it, it plants little seeds of hope in our life, and those little seeds sprout and grow, and they flourish inside our mind and our soul. I'll give you an example. The promises of God. When you, when you speak the promises of God, that's how you hold on. That's how you tie a knot in the rope and don't let go. So I was thinking about some of those promises. He who began a good work in you will complete it. Would, would, would you just say that out loud with me? He who began a good work in you will complete it. Say this one. All things work together for the good of those that love God and are called according to His purpose. Say that. All things work together for the good of those that love God and are called according to His purpose. How about this one? God is an ever-present help in times of trouble. Say that. God is an ever-present help in times of trouble. He will never leave me or forsake me. Say that with me. He will never leave me or forsake me. How about this? His grace is sufficient for me. Say that. His grace is sufficient for me. When you say that, how does that register in your spirit? What does that do to your soul? When you just said that out loud, what does that do to your soul? It plants little seeds of hope. Even inside you, you sat up. You took notice. You engaged. You got involved. You're saying this. You're speaking God's truth. And your soul hears it. And that's how you hold on. So get close. Hold on. Here's the third one. Let go. Let go. I'm either going to have you thoroughly confused or really encouraged. There are some things in life that we need to hold on to with steel determination. And the promises of God are some of those. But there are other things in life that will not be reconciled on this side of heaven. And, and we, we need to let those go. Those are the things that we need to release. Some things we cannot change, and it's okay, and it's even healthy to be sad about losing them. We grieve them out. We let them go. It's okay to cry. It's okay to release them. I can remember about seven or eight years ago, uh, my mom has battled in her health for, for many years, and she has terrible... Um, in her veins and arteries, she just had a terrible constriction of blood flow. and So she was uh, 80% blocked in two of the uh, arteries that go to her heart and 100% blocked in the other two. I mean, she was barely alive. And I can remember when I learned that she's going to have quadruple bypass surgery. We got about 48 hours notice. 
And so I got up about 3 o'clock in the morning. And I, at the time, we lived in uh, Gulfport, and I drove to Memphis. So I would be there at 9 o'clock on time for the surgery that would come a little later that morning. And uh, I can remember going in and talking to my mom and, you know, realizing that she would never really remember that I was there before. But it was important to me to know that I was there before. It was important for me to be there for her in that moment. And so I was there, you know, praying with her. And this was such a change in our life because she had always been the caregiver and the provider and, you know, always done those things for me. And the surgery went on and it was a long surgery and she came out and she did well and the recovery, you know, took a long, long time. But I can remember that afternoon after I knew she had come out and we, they had let us visit and then we couldn't go back anymore uh, I went to her house, and I can remember, um, just like yesterday, standing in her living room, empty. And she's such a warm and hospitable person. She always would fill the room with, you know, something. She's shoving a bowl of candy in your face or getting you something to drink or, you know, bringing you something or you want to go out, you want this. You, she's just a, a person of hospitality. And, and uh, she always brought so much warmth and presence into her room. And I can remember standing there in her living room without her. And I can remember how empty that was, how, how everything was changing in a minute. Uh, she'd always been the mom, and I'd always been the child, and now I was the, like the parent, and she was like the child, and she needed my care, and I'm the one that had to give it. And that whole role reversal, and what almost happened to her, and what could have happened, and now how her life would be different after this, and how her life would change, and how our relationship would change, just standing there in the middle of that, I think it just all piled up on me and hit me. And everywhere I looked, I saw her handwriting, and I saw little notes she would leave, and I saw things that she would hang, and things that she would do, and everywhere I looked, I saw her. And, and the thought that we just about lost her, we just about lost her, it just overwhelmed me, and I knew that our relationship, although she recovered and did well, I knew things were changing, and it just was something I had to grieve out. I just had to let go, and I remember just standing there in her living room by myself just crying for a few minutes. And some of you have things in your life that you just need to let go of. Some childhood memories that have haunted you, Parents that you wish you had, mistakes you've made that you wish you wouldn't have made, opportunities that you missed that you wish you wouldn't have missed, circumstances that have bruised you. There's some things, there's some things for hope to live. There's some things you just have to let go of. First Thessalonians 4.13 has always been such a fascinating verse to me. I want to read it to you. In the New Living Translation, it says, And now, dear brothers and sisters, we want you to know what will happen to the believers who've died so you will not grieve, listen to this, like people who have no hope. You will grieve like people. In other words, Paul's not saying, I don't want you to grieve. He's just saying, I don't want you to grieve like people who don't have hope. And that's a very interesting distinction. I've, I've wondered what that phrase, grieving like people who have no hope, means. If everyone grieves, and everyone does grieve, or should grieve, how do people who have hope grieve differently from people who have no hope? Well, let me give you a few thoughts, because I've thought about it for a while. 
Letting go is not the same thing as moving on. We have to move on after we let go, but we dare not let go, or we dare not move on until we let go. Does that make sense? If you get those reversed, man, you're going to have some issues. An example I can think about that is uh, you take a man who one day wakes up and he's in the middle of his third marriage. And in the middle of his third marriage, it just dawns on him that he never let go of the pain or rejection or the missed opportunity or never grieved out the loss of his first marriage, but he just moved on. And that's what this world will tell you. That's what our culture will tell you. When bad things happen, you need to get up, get going, and move on. And I'm telling you, after you let go, you need to move on. But don't you dare move on until you let go. Because those things will stay in your soul. And they will surface again. And they are not resolved. We do not resolve our losses like that. The other thought is, letting go doesn't mean giving up. Letting go doesn't mean it will never change. It means I can't change it. But I will trust God to work it out. To Christians, grieving, think about it like this. Grieving is a form of resurrection. Something has died so something else can live. Sometimes we let certain dreams go. We let certain desires go. But when we do, it allows other things to live that would have never lived. So we release them, and it gives us hope. We feel sadness. We feel regret. We feel grief. We let things go because we believe in a God who makes all things right. We believe that this life is not all there is. There's more, and there's hope, and it's anchored in God and His reality. And no matter what life does to us, at the resurrection, it'll be made right. So we have hope because Jesus came back from the dead. We have hope because Jesus prepares a place for us with him in eternity. We have hope because in eternity there's no sickness or darkness or evil or loss or brokenness. We grieve differently because we realize everything we lose on earth is temporary. If you are a non-believer or non-believers grieve like people with no hope and their losses are permanent. Permanent losses will wreck you. Temporary losses. You can let them go with hope. Let them go realizing that if they should have been there, God will restore them at the resurrection. That's how a person with hope grieves. Like it's not the end. So if you're keeping track, get close, hold on, let go. Here's the last one. Trust God. Romans 5, 3 through 6 says, Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings. Well, that's exciting, isn't it? Because we know that suffering produces perseverance, Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope, watch this, does not put us to shame. Thank God. We're not hoping in magic or pixie dust or what's going to hit the newspaper next week. We don't have hope in that. We have hope in God. And we'll never be put to shame. Because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. Look at verse 6. This is the verse I want you to focus on. You see, at just the right time. When we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Trusting God, I found, usually has a lot to do with timing. 
usually has a lot to do with timing. God, and God specializes in perfect timing. At just the right time. Why wasn't it the right time a thousand years before that? Why wasn't it the right time for Jesus to die a thousand years after that? Why isn't it today? Why is it in, in America? Why is it, why? I don't know. But God knows. And he knows perfect timing. Reminds me of a, a, a man who went to a Little League baseball game. If you've never been to Little League, you've never lived. <laughs> Little League baseball game, and he goes up, and he uh, sees a boy in the dugout, and he asks the boy, he said, what's the score? He said, 18 to nothing, we're losing. Wide-eyed with his hat turned sideways. He said, well, you must be discouraged. He said, shoot, no, I'm not discouraged. We ain't even got up to bat yet. <laughs> what seems like the end of the game to us is only the first inning to God. He knows perfect timing. Remember the Bible tells us, let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we will reap a harvest if we do not grow weary. So I encourage you today, live like a person with hope. Trust God. You have a God on your side that specializes in timing. Can you imagine if Joseph would have given up hope? The dreamer who got his brothers turned their back on him. He got thrown into a hole in the ground, sold off into slavery. They went and told his dad that he had been killed, and his dad had to grieve out that loss that wasn't even true. And, and, and he went from one calamity to another, if you know his story. He went from there, and God had favor on him and raised him up. Every time God raised him up, man knocked him down. He was falsely accused. He was lied about. He was put in prison for no. Can you? I'm going to tell you. If you want to know a brother that knows how to sustain hope, you read Joseph's life. Eleven years in prison, thinking, I, I, "What did I do wrong? Why am I even here? If this is what following God gets you, I'm out." But somehow Joseph found a way to trust God for the right time. And in the right time, he was raised up to second in command, and he actually became the storehouse that not only fed his family, but Israel. When we trust God's time, God's plan comes to fruition. When we trust God's time, Provision is found and blessing is found and needs are met. I'm going to ask the worship team to join me. In the Shawshank Redemption, if you remember Andy, who was the innocent man who was stuck in prison for a crime he didn't commit, he finally tunneled his way out of prison. He broke out. But he left behind in the prison evidence, proof, that he was actually innocent because he was able to piece it together across the years. And he escaped and went to Mexico and started a new life. A short time later, Red, the man who was guilty, had given up hope but was unexpectedly paroled and joined Andy in his new life. And sort of the way it wraps up is so they could get busy living. Man, 
If you're waiting for everything to get right before you start living, you're going to be waiting a long time. If you're waiting for circumstances to level off in your life, you're constantly waiting for things on the outside to give you internal hope and strength. But if you will get close, hold on, let go, trust God. If you will draw your hope and strength and life from the inside, from resurrection life, from Jesus' death and resurrection. Paul said, we're the most hopeless people on earth if Jesus really didn't come back from the dead. We're worse off than everybody else. But last time I checked, that grave's empty. And if that grave's empty, then you've got a place to put your feet. And you can stand. And hope can fill your soul today. So here's what I want to ask you to do. If you just stand with me, and I want to ask our prayer team to come. And to me, to me just hearing, hearing God's Word is not what changes us. It's living it. It's applying it. It's engaging God. Look, I think the whole room changed when you started quoting the Bible. I think that was the most powerful moment of the entire morning. When you said it. When you spoke it. When you heard it come out of your own mouth. I think that was the most powerful moment of the entire morning. And so today, I want to invite you to prayer. If you just hear and receive, but don't walk or apply or trust or plant or move or join God, engage Him, encounter Him in some way, then, then you'll walk out with the heaviness you walked in with. And there's just no reason to do that. So if you'd close your eyes and bow your heads, I want to invite you to prayer. And I just want to give you some thoughts about how that might be for you. Maybe you're hearing you say, I need to draw near to God. I got the perfect thing for you. Come and pray with somebody. Every move works. Come and pray with somebody. Say, look, I just, I'm in a season where my hope is challenged and I just need to pray. With, I need somebody to pray with me. Man, I want to ask you in just a minute to come and hope is the presence of God. Let somebody come into agreement with you on your, on where you are and let the presence of God fill you. Maybe you say, and I guarantee you there are probably more than I'm aware of people in this room that there's something you need to let go of. Man, I just want to encourage you as we pray, I want you to bring that need to prayer and I want you to come to one of our prayer team or if you want to come and stand by yourself and just say, God, I let go of whatever. You come to the prayer team, maybe you want to say, maybe you don't even want to tell them what it is. There's something I need to let go of, pray with me. Or maybe it's, it's powerful for you to state it. I need to let go of this. And, and as you come to the altar this morning, you just come with your fists balled up. And as you walk closer, I want you to open those hands. And I want you just to let go and say, by God's grace today, I let go. Maybe you need to trust God's timing. Boy, you're in an issue where you're pinched. And man, oh man, oh man, it looks like God's late. You say, God, I need help trusting your timing.
Maybe your hope needs to be renewed today. Maybe today you just need to confess your hope in God. Man, look, I'm going to pray and the worship team's going to sing and I just want you to come. I want you to come experience the presence of God. I want you to come and have your hope refreshed and renewed. I want you to come and heal and recover and restore and let go and hold on and trust God. Lord, this morning... This word is your word. Lord, this morning your presence is here and real. Lord, as we begin to worship this morning, I pray that your presence would fill this place and and there would be be a, a powerful time of encounter with your presence. Lord, that we would let go and release. I'm not going to ask you to lift your hands if it's you or anything else. The worship team's going to start to sing, and I just want you to come. I just want you to take a step of faith and say, this is me. I need God's presence in my life right now.